Well, hello, and welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast. I am John O'Leary, and I'm so happy to share with you stories that empower you to do, to be, to achieve, and to impact more through your life. Maybe more simply said, I'm fired up to share with you stories that help you live inspired. After today's episode, I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email at podcast at johnolearyinspires.com with your feedback, maybe your guest suggestions for future shows, stories on how this podcast has helped you live more inspired, or questions that you have for me. Again, send that email to me at podcast at johnolearyinspires.com. And now, let's get started with today's episode. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. You know, we have the opportunity on this podcast to bring you an awful lot of guests from a ton of different backgrounds. As you know, we've had astronauts and actors. We've had famous artists, famous musicians. We've had some thought leaders and some remarkable overcomers. And yet we've never had a gospel singer. We've never had a lady who grew up in an impoverished neighborhood, who grew up in the church, who found her little voice around the bedside singing to her seven siblings and to her family, who goes on through that little house in Inglewood, California to find her voice in a church, to sign a small record deal, and to go on to become one of the most successful gospel singers of all time. Erica Campbell has 11 Grammy Awards, She won four different times Best Gospel Performance. She's also been nominated for Best Contemporary Soul Gospel Album. She was part of the incredibly, wildly successful Mary Mary group. She's an amazing lady. And during this conversation today, we're going to be talking about family. We're going to be talking about upbringing. We're going to be talking about growing up with very little, but also realizing that it was enough. We're going to be talking about body image. We're going to be talking about faith. We're going to be talking about God. We're going to be talking about her reason for hope and joy and faith, her marriage, her challenges, her ups, her downs, and ultimately, my friends, what it means to you. It's going to be a wild journey that you are about to go on. You're going to hear a few of her songs. You're going to hear all of her heart. And I hope it reminds you that in spite of some challenges you face today, that the best of your journey remains in front of you. So during this episode, I encourage you right now to uncross your arms. This might be a new topic for many of you. It may be a new step toward faith for many of us. Just open up your arms, open wide your mind, take some notes as we bring on our newest friend, incredibly beautiful and the incredibly talented Erica Campbell. Erica, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Well, like, I feel like I'm in the groupie club. I'm kind of fanboying out over here right now. But for those who somehow have not heard of you, seen the show, read the book, listened to the music, hear you on the radio and everything else you're doing professionally, give us a snapshot of what your life looks like today, just in a couple sentences. What are you up to? 
gosh, what it looks like today. I do my weekly radio show syndicated in about 40 markets Monday through Friday. I get my kids off to school. I work on music. I, I released a song on the 25th and then an album next Friday. I am releasing my brand new book, More Than Pretty. Mm-hmm. My husband asked me to speak on Sunday. I have to do that. And my mother and mother-in-love wanted to go see Joyce Meyer. So I have to do that after I talk to you while making sure that I get some time with my kids and making sure they have dinner. So life is pretty crazy, but it, it is all that God gave me. And so I'm very, very thankful for it. Uh, I'm also in a group with my sister, Mary Mary. We've been singing for 20 years now, and we just recorded a new song um, that's going to be on the album that comes out next week. And uh, I'm just grateful to God that he's allowed me to share that life is possible and life doesn't have to drive you crazy, especially when you understand that Jesus uh, can help you organize and strategize much better than you can. Mm. There's so much there, and I'm going to slowly peel back the onion that you just shared. I think I'm going to begin, you know, you you mentioned Mary Mary and your mother and your family. I'm going to begin way back where this story starts. So we're going to back the train all the way up to Englewood, California, you growing up. You grew up with seven siblings, kids all over the place, a bit of craziness all around you. You're in the middle of Inglewood, California, like I said. What was growing up like for you? Just kind of give us a, a picture of your childhood. Well, my parents loved Jesus, but we didn't have a lot of money. Um, so we were challenged financially, but somehow we had so much music and love in the house till we were able to just live and still experience the joy of the Lord. Our church was next door to our house. And so everybody that lived in this neighborhood and community was all family and friends. So I felt like I grew up in a very loving community. I did grow up in a very loving community. It was a kind of old school community where if your parents weren't home and your neighbors saw something going on, they would go, hey, what's going on over there? I'm gonna call your mama. So it was that kind of nurturing and love uh, that held me accountable, made me very respectful, um, and understood that there were people caring for me. Um, still a young, pretty girl grappling with what I look like. Why am I pretty? What's the point of it at any rate? But learning that God, I knew that there was something special about me. I didn't know how the world would see it, uh, but my parents made me sing all the time. So when my brothers and sisters had to read scriptures at church, I had to sing. We prayed every night around my parents' bed. And then um, my parents would ask me to sing a song for them. And I would all the time. And I got such great joy knowing that my voice made my parents happy. And so they were my first audience, Mm. my first cheerleaders, uh, and still are today. If I have music coming out, they all want to hear it. And it's awesome because it's only two of my sisters, me and my sister that are in the music industry. But you would think that everybody was just as successful because my mom celebrates everybody. She didn't have favorites, which made it very easy for us to move forward in confidence in the world because she made us all feel loved. Mm. Your mom and dad seemed like they emptied love into you and yet they had an unusual relationship. Talk briefly about mom and dad and their relationship growing up. So my mom and dad were... They were the cool, fun couple at church. They were who everyone wanted to talk to. And while we did have a fun, loving home, my mother and father divorced each other three times. Now, I can honestly say I don't remember hollering and screaming at home. I don't remember them fussing at each other all the time. I just remember something would go wrong and you could feel that something was wrong. And my dad would go live with my grandma or go live with you know someone or move out. And then my mom would pray heaven down and he would come back. <laughs> but when he came back, it would be weird. And so I had this weird relationship with the word, I love you, because they would both say, I love you, but they didn't stay together. So I didn't value the word, I love you. 
And so when it came to my own relationship, when I got married in, in 2001, my husband would say, I love you so much. And I go, ah, yeah, yeah. My dad said that, but he le- left. And I had to really fall in love with Jesus and fall deeper in love with God to understand the power of I love you. Mm-hmm. And while humans can be flawed, God is not. And he gives us choice. And sometimes we choose the wrong thing. And so I learned to see my parents as people. And I knew that even though Eddie and Tommy weren't good, mommy and daddy were good. Mm. So when we came together, we still laughed. We still joked. We still had a good time. My dad was fiercely sarcastic. And unfortunately, he passed all that onto us. So you have seven girls in this house. And if somebody dropped something, it wasn't the kind of house where they would go, oh, sweetie, are you okay? My dad would go, nice move, Grace. And one of your sisters would go, hey, pick that up. And so... You learn this kind of tough love thing that existed in my house that prepared me, I believe, very well for the entertainment industry because they are not always kind. And so you have to learn to not care about what people think or say. And you have to know that even though they've said what they said, it doesn't change your gifts and talents. It doesn't change the beauty inside of you Mm -hmm. just because someone doesn't think so, because there's always going to be someone that doesn't think so. And so I learned that um, from my house and even from my parents' relationship. The beautiful thing is, at the end of my father's life, because he died from cancer, prostate cancer, in 2013, he came to my house and we sat and we talked. And he said, you know, Erica, I kept coming back because I love my family. I couldn't get it right. And I really, to this day, still don't know why. But I want you to know that I loved you guys. Mm. And I kept coming back. It can, it can choke me up every time I think about that because it was so powerful to know the power of just trying And so that's how I am even in all my relationships with my friends. you got to at least try. You can't throw people away even when they mess up. You can't. you you got to be gracious and forgiving because you'll need that same forgiveness one day. So I learned a lot from my parents. You learned a lot also from your siblings. I'm going to call out two by name. The second will be Tina. You spent a lot of time with her. We'll come back to Tina. I want you to talk about someone that I, I don't hear you share as much about, but I bet you learned an awful lot about real life from him. So talk about Andre Lavelle Atkins. My brother, he had Down syndrome. He was so fun. I, I, you know, I was just a little girl and I was about uh, six when he passed. But I remember us playing church all the time and he was still the boss. And me and Tina would have to sing and clap and listen to his messages. And we would march in like the choir would, uh, you know, back in the day when we went to church. And I loved my big brother. Uh, He was so special to me. And I was very confused when he passed because, you know, old school, they didn't really explain death. They said, he's gone to be with Jesus. And I was like, what does that mean? If you say Jesus lives inside of me and Jesus is here, why is my brother here? And, um, I I have a special sweet place in my heart anytime I see somebody with Down syndrome. So I may smile aggressively or say hi or talk to them just because I remember my brother and how lively and fun uh, he was. I remember even the funeral and how joyous it was because we knew he went to heaven. And so it was very heartwarming uh, even thinking about him. Many people don't ask me about my brother, Andre. So thank you. Thank you so much for even asking about him. Well, he just struck me as being one of the main characters in your story. And it may be a small part he played, but I have a feeling some of the joy I see in your heart and feel in your music is a reflection of the way that little Andre showed up every day of his life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, he was sick and sickly, but he was not a sad child. Mm. And I think that speaks volumes because there's a lot of us that go through and deal with things in life and we allow the situation to dictate our level of happiness, our level of joy. 
And just because a situation is is bad, it doesn't mean that you have to exude this sadness and only live in that space because you're still breathing. You're still here. The sun still comes up every day. And so I think when you hold on to that kind of joy and optimism, it allows you to at least wake up and say, God, I thank you for another day. Right on. And your mother was ensuring that you would find yourself in church singing, praising, lifting your voice up high. When did you recognize that not only were you good enough to sing to mom and dad and your siblings, but but yes, indeed, you could sing at church and maybe even beyond? I think I really started to think about it when I was about 12 or 13. There was a lot of years. I, I sang in a group with my friends and we were called the Young Anointed. <laughs> so we made up songs and we sang around town. I loved singing. I loved how it made me feel. I love how people responded to me when I sang. And so I really enjoyed it. But somewhere in the middle, I stopped singing because I sang at a big event and I forgot the words. Mm -hmm. So from about 13 to 16, I didn't, I only sang in the choir. I didn't lead anything. And one day my mom just pushed me to sing. um, And it was really good. And I remembered what I felt before. And the Lord just assured my heart that that's what I was supposed to be doing for the rest of my life. I never knew how I was going to get there. And at that time, I thought church was the biggest, bestest thing. So I was fine singing at church. And then the dreams, God would just plant seeds in my heart. And those seeds would be watered by different experiences, different compliments, singing at different concerts and watching the audience and going, I want to do this for the rest of my life. And so my professional career began probably at 17, 18, but it was all from singing in church and just going and going and and letting those seeds be watered by life and experience. When did you and Tina realize, yeah, let's do this thing together. Let's start a little band. Maybe it will work. We'll call it Mary Mary. When when did that happen? You know, we didn't grow up singing together. Tina had a best friend named Erica and they had a song together at church. And that Erica wasn't there. She was, her name's Erica Bell. Erica Bell wasn't there that day. And so they said, hey, why don't you sing with her? And we sang the song and it was magical. Mm. It was wonderful. And so when we finished, we still didn't think be a group. We were like, oh, that was awesome. Mm. And so we started writing songs. This and we used to say we were making up songs. So we would get two tape recorders, place them in, in front of each other, record one part, sing a third part, and play another part. And then that's how we would record our songs. So we would make up songs. And so we ended up meet. this is a further part of the story. We ended up meeting Warren Campbell and he was the one that suggested that we should be a group. Later, he would be my husband and producer, but he was like, you guys should be a group. And we said, huh, okay. He came up with the name Mary Mary and we wanted a reason to keep it. Um, And I'll tell you that part later, but we started singing together and It was probably the best thing in my life for us to be paired together to go out into the world. I think it kept us safe. I think it we both add something beautiful to each other's voice and gift. She has a high voice. I have a lower voice. And so together, this just beautiful marriage of sound. And because we're sisters, we sound alike, but we're so very different. And I think our differences is what has made Mary Mary so successful all these these years. I mean, being at the top of the charts and you know, winning four Grammys together and touring and being blessed to encourage so many people. Some of the biggest names in pop music, you know, have said that they were fans of Mary Mary, everybody from Halle Berry to 
Beyonce. I mean, mm. we even met Elton John and he was like, wow, you guys can really sing. I mean, even Neil Diamond gave us tips on how to last in the entertainment industry. So we've been really, really blessed. And I think God just kind of pushed us together because I don't think it would have been our original plan for us to sing together because I was always a solo singer. You and your sister are hanging out. You're doing life. You're singing. The events are getting a little bit bigger. Mary Mary begins taking off. At what point do you look to your left and see your sister and then look out and see the audience and then think in your own heart, we made it. Like, I, like, I cannot believe this happened. I remember specifically, it, we were in Holland. There was an event called the Comeback of Jesus. It was about 2002. And there's this huge arena with 70,000 people. Mm. They're standing around the front of the stage and they're just beating the stage going, Mary, Mary. <laughs> And I'm in the back bawling. I am crying because I'm like, Lord, you kept your word. You you exceeded my expectation. All I wanted to do was sing. I never dreamed it would be this big. And that is probably one of my biggest memories. The other is driving down 125th Street in Harlem in New York and singing the biggest billboard <laughs> with my face on it. And I got out of the, I, I literally told the driver to stop and pull over me, Tina and Warren, get out of the car. And I just go, oh, my God, you did it. <laughs> you did it for me. You remembered my prayers. You remembered my dreams and you literally made them come true. And uh, those two moments were actually life changing, really, really special moments for me. So I'm going to play off of what you just shared there and put myself in the shoes of many of our listeners right now. Many have a strong faith, many have no faith at all. But a question I would imagine many of them are asking themselves is, what about my dreams? The, the dreams I had that did not come true. I have not seen my face on a billboard. I have not been lucky enough to find a guy like Warren. I've not been able to have three kids like you. I've not had the Grammy success and the financial success and the life success. So if they were asking that question right now, how would you respond to someone who feels like God has not yet shown up for them in their dreams? I would tell you that time plays a big part. So I started singing at five years old, but I didn't get a record deal till I was 28 years old. That's a lot of years. I'm 47 and I'm just now getting to this point to where I'm like, wow, I can literally see the success. I could not see it at 21. At 21, I was still on welfare, staying in a one bedroom apartment, praying that I could pay my rent. That was only $500. Even at 25, I was still driving a raggedy car, hoping that I didn't run out of gas. So sometimes, even though you're at the dark part of your story, you cannot give up on you. You can't throw the dream away because it hasn't come to the end. I like to put it like this. Everybody has a story. Imagine a storybook. There's a once upon a time and a happily ever after. Mm. Somewhere in the middle, there will be tragedy. Somewhere in the middle, there may be devastation. But if you just keep going, a lot like your story, if you just allow life to play out and realize that there's somebody rooting for you, that there's still greatness inside of you, even though you haven't seen it yet, there is a God that has a beautiful plan for your life. And if you put life in his hands, if you don't take things into your own hands, because I would jack my life if I did it my way. <laughs> but seeing God was the best Thing that I could ever do. There's a scripture that says all things are possible to them that believe. Sometimes believing is longer than we want it to be, but you cannot stop believing. Just like the stop song, don't stop. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's not a gospel 
song, but listen, it's a sentiment of my heart that you just can't stop believing. Maybe you're in the valley part of your story. Maybe you're in the dark part of your story, but just like every single day, the sun comes up. Mm. And if you believe that and you hold on to that, the fact that the sun will come up in your life, I promise you, you will see the joy that you're looking for. Maybe not the day you want or the way you want, but I promise you it's coming. Do you want to drop the mic or should we keep going? <laughs> that was awesome. That that will work for you on Sunday. So I think you can preach on that one for a little while. You, you're, yeah. you're be, Seriously, beautifully said. I appreciate it. And I look forward to not only you, but the rest of us having that storybook ending. And it's only made beautiful through the ups and downs along the journey toward it. You've had a lot of ups. You've had a lot of downs. You had the album Thankful, which went gangbusters. The single Shackles, which was incredibly well-received. And yet, Erica, anybody can do one thing great one time. You know, we, we all have a couple individual successes, that great shot we made in high school or whatever else it might have been. You've got to then go and do this a second time. You got to get back into studio. You got to record. You've got to write. What's that process like? When you, when you empty out your heart, you pour everything you know and felt into that first album and you do it again. How, how does that even begin to originate? How do, you, how do you get the strength to do that? Well, I realized that I didn't do it in my own strength. It was the power of God. It was the power of Jesus Christ in my life that poured something into me that I was able to pour out. And so I know if it's him in the first place, then I don't have to be awesome or amazing and go, oh, what are they going to think of me? I'm going, God, you gave me this platform. Now give me everything I need to be everything that I need. You know who I need to reach. You know who I need to touch. And so draw the stories out of my life that will allow me to tell a story that will bless other people. And so with each record, me and Tina and Warren have gone into the studio and each prayed, what are we supposed to write and sing about? Because I know what I think, but you know more than I do what the people need. And so we have fun and we're creative and we don't feel held hostage to sometimes the closed mindedness of Christians. Mm. And we don't feel fearful of what we will do wrong because we're too focused on trying to do right. And so I believe that God honors that. And I am like a ferocious Jesus lover. Like <laughs> I'm always aware of trying to please Jesus, not people trying to please Jesus. He was very unorthodox. The church people didn't like him. So when the church people don't like me, I almost feel honored. I know that he spoke to people that they said he shouldn't speak to. So my music is geared to those who need him. Not, I, I love when believers love the music. I think it's amazing when they can listen, but for the broken and the lost and the ones who are trying to figure out this God thing, I mean, who is God anyway? I know many people say that. If I can write a song that will allow them to just turn toward heaven and go, hey, God, I want to know you, then my my mission is accomplished. So I go into, when I go in the studio, I go with the open heart and open ears like, all right, Jesus, what are we singing about today? How are we uplifting the people today? And he gives us the music. You mentioned, if they don't like me, I almost appreciate it. And I hear you. I really do understand where you're coming from, the countercultural angle of your music and of your life. And you're human and you're a lady and you have neighbors and friends and family who are looking at you, some of them looking up to you, but others looking down at you. H how do you handle the haters? How do you handle the people that uh, are critiquing your lyrics, your outfits, your hair, or anything else they're judging? I believe that with or without the audience. I believe that with or without Grammys with or without 
the number one sales and all that jazz. I truly believe that God placed greatness inside of me. And it is the enemy's job because we got to be aware that there's a good presence and an evil presence in this world. Wants to tear me down, wants to stop me. And if he can stop me by saying they won't like you, they don't like that dress. Oh, that hair's not right. Oh, your lipstick's all wrong. Then sometimes he wins. So I have to go. They didn't come in for my lipstick. They came to hear me sing. So I don't have to get hung up on a dress. They came for me to pour out my heart. And whether I am a size four Erica or size 16 Erica, they came to hear me sing. And I'm going to bring all the joy that I can to this stage. And it's going to be okay. Now, I will admit, there are some comments that have stung. Mm. There are some things that people have said online where I'm like, oh, gosh, harsh. But when they said it, I didn't lose my gift. I didn't lose my ability to sing. When they said it, the record company didn't call and say, we're taking your record deal back. God didn't say, you know what? I changed my mind about you because they changed their mind about you. So I realized that I don't have to rest in what they think. There are billions and billions of people on this planet and God will give me my little corner of the world. And so I will be okay with whatever that corner is. And for those who don't like me, Hey, you can listen to someone else's music. You can buy somebody else's book. I'm totally fine with that. But those who love me, I'm 100% fine with it. But because I believe I'm awesome, I know I'll get new people to love me because that's how love works. That's how joy, you can't fight it. You can say, I don't want to like her because of whatever, but you're going to like me because I'm giving you not just me, I'm giving you God's love and God's joy and God's peace. And I'm trying to encourage you to help you be better. You went from a little girl singing around mom and dad's bed with seven siblings in Inglewood, California, to the Grammys, all the other awards, eight plus million albums sold, like just crazy, crazy success. How do you keep success from going to your head? I can't do this by myself. And there have been a lot of losses. Like of the five Grammys that I have, I was nominated for about 14. So you see those averages, right? About eight. <laughs> you know, there's been time where I went to the Stellar Awards, which is the Gospel Awards. Um, uh, it's huge in the African-American community. It's a really big deal. I've been nominated for seven and didn't. I only got one. So I've had a lot of losses. I've been invited and uninvited places. I've been told, and eh, now we're not really into gospel for certain TV shows. Uh, and so I've, I've taken those L's. I've taken those losses and I'll go, wasn't my turn. Everybody can't be number one. And so if I'm number five, I'm going to cheer on number one because I know my time is coming. If it's not my time to win, it's totally fine with me. And so that's what keeps me grounded. It's not always my time. But when it is, I'm so incredibly grateful Mm. because it could have been someone else. I could have the hard luck story. I could be somewhere crying and depressed but God has blessed me tremendously. So while I'm in this moment, I won't focus on what has gone wrong. I won't focus on will this continue five years from now? I'll know that I've been blessed with the opportunity to have a moment that the world remembers. I mean, my music is in the Library of Congress in the United States of America. Erica's remembered. Like, I'm in the, there's a book called Who's Who in America. I was blessed to be in that book. So if my last big song was my last big song, I've still been tremendously blessed, but I don't believe that God opened the door to close it. I don't believe that that was my last moment. I don't believe that was my last number one. And so I live with great expectation of tomorrow and what it can be. You write about tomorrow and you also write about your need for something bigger than yourself and someone bigger than yourself. 
I love your songs. I love your music. I love the words that were, are within them and the reason behind them. One of my favorites is a song called Help. I love the song Help. Tell us, where the where's the origin of the song Help? Like, how'd you come up with the lyrics and uh, just kind of walk us through what the song Help is all about? Help was a dark time. It was a dark time for me. Um, my sister was going through publicly in her marriage. She had um, talked about infidelity in her marriage and of course, every blog and magazine exploited it. We talked about it on the reality show. It was a subject that wouldn't go away. And then at that same time, she said she didn't really want to sing anymore. So I had to figure out how I could be Mary Mary by myself because I had never just been Erica. I had been Tina for a long time. At the same time, my manager at that time was suing me. And I was just, my, my father was diagnosed with cancer. And it felt like everything that could go wrong was going wrong all at one time. And so... This song was just my heart's cry. And I knew that if I felt that way, somebody else did. The enemy would like to make me think that when you're, make you think that when you're going through, you're the only one going through. And that's how the darkness seeps in. And I did not want the darkness to seep in. And so I just cried out for help. And I put it in a song. That song not only helped me, but it helped many, many people. It was the song that Tina would call me and say, just sing it, just sing it. Hmm. I just need to hear you sing it. And, um, and I would. And uh, it helped both of us. But I think some of the most beautiful parts of our life can be birthed out of the darkness in our life. And that if we realize that after the darkness comes the sunshine, we're okay. We are okay indeed. And I'm going to play a little bit of that song right now for our audience. Just a beautiful song. So here it is. This is Help by our friend Erica Campbell. I need a lifeline right now. 911 won't do. My back's against the wall now. Done all that I could do. I prayed every prayer, went to every service like I know how. Just a ship without a sail. I'm lost without your Erica, when you hear that song, when you hear that passion with which you sang it with, and when you think of where you were, how does that song make you feel today? I just feel the joy of the Lord. I'm just grateful that I made it out of the storm. And I'm, I'm grateful that I didn't lose it, that I didn't throw my hands in the air and say, just forget it. I'm never going to sing again. I'm just grateful that I that there was enough strength. And that's all you need is just a little bit. There was just enough strength to push me forward. And so I'm just really grateful for that. So I'm also grateful because that's my daughter singing in the beginning. Oh. She was in, I think, 11. She was able to join me on that. So I always tell her, not only did I win a Grammy, but you won one too. So that's great to be able to share with my baby girl. That's Krista, is that right? That is Krista. So I've gotten to know Krista a little bit through the reality show, Mary Mary. I, I want to know first, why'd you say yes to a reality show? Because I didn't see reflections of myself on television. I didn't see... Uh, an African-American family who loved Jesus, who was into entertainment, but wasn't swallowed up by it, um, still very normal. Um, family who enjoyed working with the, with each other. You know, most people say family can't work together. Um, even though we had our struggles, we did enjoy working with each other. And so I wanted to display that. And I felt like our life could be reflected and encourage other people. And it did. We met some sisters that were in their 60s, 
And it was an episode where me and Tina went to therapy and I was expressing to her that I didn't like the way we were communicated. You know, we're sisters, so we'd be fussing at each other. And I just didn't want to do that anymore. These sisters said they watched that episode and they hadn't spoken to each other in five years. Mm. But because of that episode, they called each other and they started watching the show together and mended their relationship. And they just wanted to say thank you. That was all the reason I need and needed. And I knew that we were doing the right thing by doing the show. Now, it was rough. And somehow they turned my sister into a villain. So we ended it at uh, at season six. They wanted us to continue on. And, you know, there's editing and there's TV. And, and you know, sometimes they cut out the apologies and they cut out the I'm sorry's. Mm-hmm. It was it was tough. It was tough, probably tougher for my sister than it was for me. So we decided to stop at season six, but I'm still glad that we did it. Well, you have a uh, not only a reality show that you were part of, you've got a book that your heart is in. It's called More Than Pretty, doing the soul work that uncovers your true beauty. Yes. Talk yeah. about that book. I love the book. I love the cover. It's gorgeous. Talk oh, about the book. I knew that I had a lot of work to do, even though I'm very optimistic and very bubbly and happy. There was a lot of things that I said, oh, I'll deal with it later. Oh, I'll deal with it later. And before you know it, there's this mound of junk and stuff from life that I didn't face or deal with or ask why. And so I had to do some soul work. I had to find out who I really was outside of being Mary Mary, outside of being Warren's wife, outside of being Tina's big sister. Who was I and what did I want and love when the, when I didn't have the microphone? Mm. I started just writing. I started writing and then I did the, in an event called More Than Pretty. And it was a conversation about Christianity and sexuality. Knowing that I was this beautiful, curvaceous girl and knowing that that wasn't a bad thing, that God put me in this body and it was a good thing. Um, but I had to figure out how to, how does this look in this world today that's over-sexualized? I don't want to be a Christian that's over-sexualizing things. So I just had to figure it out. And so I started writing these stories and coming to some resolve and realizing some things that I ne- needed to let go, uh, realizing that I had to embrace new normals because life changes sometimes from year to year, um, realizing that my circle was my, my, my source and my value, but I couldn't worship my circle. And when I say that, I mean, I couldn't make idol gods out of my parents or my friends or my career or my family. I had to put God in the right place and realize that he loved me without all of this stuff. Even though this stuff was a part of my calling and my gift, he loved me without all of this stuff. So I didn't feel held hostage. And I don't, I still don't feel held hostage to my life. I mean, I'm going to an event tonight and I usually have this beautiful hair and this wonderful gown. My hair is pulled back in a ponytail and I'm so okay with that. And that's for me doing the soul work. That's for me being honest about my life, about what I liked and what I didn't like, the lessons that I learned and being honest enough to share that with other people. So I'm sharing so much of my heart, so much of my journey in hopes that it will help women be free with who they are. Like we don't have to be just because you carry the title of Christian or you you are a Christian. It doesn't mean that you're less than or you're boring or that you're not fabulous and wonderful and that there's anything wrong with being fabulous and wonderful. I think there are a bunch of beautiful women in the Bible and we don't tell their stories enough. And so I wanted to tell my story to encourage other girls who are somewhere living with a big question mark over the front of their faces like, who am I? Why am I? And so when we realize that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. When we realize that that God gave his, Jesus gave his life for us to live life abundantly, um, it gives you hope. And so that's what I'm believing this book will give. It will give us hope. 
you give it through an incredibly honest lens. I, I, I've always noticed about you, it's, I think it's a, one of the very best parts about you. In your books, your songs, your interviews, you're incredibly honest. So I, I guess the question is, Erica, wh- why not throw on a mask, put on more makeup, be more like the celebrities and the singers that we're familiar with? Why not be like everybody else and pretend like you're somebody else? Why are you so honest? Because it's too hard to be fake. Then you forget pieces of the lie. Wait, which lie did I tell today? Right. I'm kind of like water on a duck's back. I don't really care that much about people's negative opinions of mm-hmm. me. So anything that I've gone through, if I'm telling you, I'm on the other side of it. So I've already got the victory. And so if you say, oh, but you've gone through this, my answer is literally, so I came out and I'm victorious and I'm still blessed and I'm still happily married and I'm still a mother to three beautiful kids and my mama still loves me, <laughs> you know, and I still have purpose on my life. So I don't have to cover up every flaw. I don't have to go out with a full face of makeup. I'm beautiful with nothing on. And I think every woman needs to own that. Not only women, but men too. You guys show it in a different way, but I think men need to own their confidence. If you're not driving the biggest, best car, if your bank account doesn't have a million zeros, you are still valuable and necessary in this world. I remember when my father began to withdraw from us a little bit because financially he wasn't a rich man and our husbands were all doing pretty good. And he would say, I don't have anything to offer. And I was saying, what are you talking about? Who taught me to pray? That was you, daddy. Who taught me to face life? That was you, daddy. And I would tell him, who told me if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. That was a scripture my father taught me. So I learned in the face of adversity, that is not the time to quit. And so learning that and having all that strength, man, I can go out and face the world. I've been on, on the biggest stages, I've done interviews where somebody stopped talking to me because a bigger celebrity walked by. And I said, hmm, I guess I was finished. I didn't leave going, oh, I'm not good enough. And if I was a bigger star, they would like me. It's okay. That means my purpose was fulfilled. If I was only being asked three questions, then three, three answers is what I gave. And that's enough. Mm. You have to learn to find your own confidence and build yourself up. Encourage yourself in the Lord is what the scripture says. And that's what I've learned to do. Now, this doesn't mean that I've not had my bad days. I mean, literally just yesterday I was going, Lord, I'm tired. I'm really tired. But I can't give up. My book comes out. My song is on the charts. I knew I had to talk to you. I couldn't cancel stuff and say, I'm just going to retreat. I ask God for more strength, supernatural strength. I get up and get dressed and keep it moving. You've got more strength, I think, than any other individual I've met. You are one of the busier, more productive individuals I know. You also have a constant cheerleader by your side. His name is Warren Campbell. I do. What was it about Warren Campbell that you fell in love with? Oh, my God. It had to be that smile and that beautiful chocolate skin. <laughs> he was so talented, but he was so fun. And and strangely enough, so I grew, you know, I grew up in a church family, mm-hmm. which meant when I was growing up, we couldn't listen to secular music or pop music at all. And when I met him, he was working for a hip hop company called Death Row Records. (laughs) I'm not sure if you've heard of like Snoop Dogg or Tupac, but that's who he was doing music for. So I was so torn. I was like, he couldn't love Jesus. But every time I would encounter him, there was this sweetness about him. And he was so kind. And I later found out that he grew up in a Christian family and he had been so hurt and broken by the church. He said he was never going back. And so we both just loved on each other and encouraged each other. We laughed a lot. Um, We had both come out of crazy relationships. So we swore we weren't going to fall in love. 
And so telling each other that we weren't going to fall in love means we became really good friends. I mean, really good friends. So he has pushed me and challenged me. He's made me mad a few times because he does not go easy on me in the studio. He is probably the hardest person I've ever worked with, but the best person I've ever worked with because he doesn't let me get away with good. It has to be great. And every time we're able to give the world something amazing, whether it was our reality show called We're the Campbells with our family or music or a book or even speaking at church. I definitely didn't want to be the first lady of a church at all. But I love him. I trust him. I trust the God in him. So I say yes. And somehow we make it work. We have our love check-ins. That's something where we just kind of go, hey, are you happy? I was like, don't give me a surface answer. Are you really happy? Are we really happy? Are we in a good space? Sometimes I get a good answer. And sometimes he say, we need some more time Mm -hmm. together. We need to kind of maybe cancel some things and just spend time with us because I feel like I'm third on your list and I don't want to feel that. So I love that we can be friends in a way where we're honest with each other. I mean, I can tell him, you know, that particular female friend, I don't enjoy her (laughs) and I don't think she's good intentions. And he'll say, if she's not your friend, she's not my friend. We are a team, Team Campbell, all day. How did Team Campbell get changed on September 13th, 2004? Oh, my God. Krista Campbell came into the world, my sugar brown bear. (laughs) My baby that I prayed for. I prayed for her to be brown with beautiful skin and eyes that could light up a room. I mean, she was just that. She started singing and humming at nine months old. But she loves her parents. She would introduce me. She would go, hi, this is my friend, mommy. What's your name? Like she literally was just a bright light. Her name means Christ bearer. I gave my kids all names that were intentional. And Krista was the first. I talked to her in my belly. Every time she would move, I would go, hi, are you trying to talk to me? And I would talk back to her. I would ask her what she loved. I would tell her what my favorite color was. And she is just the joy of my heart. I can't even explain the amount of joy that I feel when I look at Krista. She is such an amazing girl. She's gorgeous, and uh, I know she knows it now. You're raising three kids. You are an incredibly productive lady, like we've already talked about. What What are you doing intentionally, Erica, to raise three great kids? This is hard work. It's hard to keep them just out of the alleyways, let alone moving forward toward the light. What, what do you do intentionally to raise great kids? I speak life to my kids, and I make them speak life. So I don't follow the narrative that she's going to hate me when she's a teenager. I don't allow my kids to say things like, I hate you. They don't say it to each other. I'm an old school black mama. So (laughs) they don't get to close doors and say, get out of my room because I wasn't raised that way. I believe that they love their parents. We have a lot of family moments where we talk it out. We talk about how they feel. And my kids have affirmation. So every night my husband makes my son say, I'm a Campbell man. I'm an honest man. I'm a loving man. I'm a black man. I'm a godly man. He even tells him I'm going to be a good husband. My my son always twists his face up like, what? But he says, I'm going to be a faithful husband. I'm going to be a good husband. I'm going to be a good father. And so we make our children speak life over their own lives because your words have power. Mm. If you say, I don't, and I can't, and I'm not, and this will never, those words take root. They take root in your heart and it affects your own faith and your own hope. And I think what a lot of us are suffering from in this world is just hopelessness. Yes. And so I I pour into my kids a lot of positivity. I'm careful with what they watch. I don't let them watch a bunch of murder, murder, kill, kill, even though we know that's a real part of the world. They're so young. I want to fill them up with the good stuff. Mm. So by the time the bad stuff comes, they've got so much good stuff, it'll balance out. 
you well, know? I do know. It reminds me of a quote I've heard you share on two different occasions. And the quote is, if you don't have confidence in private, you will not have power in public. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't want to be a public success and a private failure. So at home, I need to be confident. I need to, I can't save the world and then come home and I'm mean and grumpy and I don't have time for my kids and they're running for cover because they don't know if mommy, the hurricane is coming home. I mean, that's horrible when that's the reality in mm-hmm. your house. And I, that has been the reality for some people. I have some friends that way. They're like, I wish I could come home and sit on the end of my mom's bed and tell her about my day. And she give me a hug and tell me everything is going to be all right. I know that I can call my mom or even my mother in love. I have, I'm blessed with two good mamas. I can call them at any time and cry and whine about the world and give them all my woes. And they're going to love me, encourage me and push me and nurture me. And so I try to do the same for my kids. Erica, if you are in the shower or driving to work or a million other things and your heart is just down, you're just discouraged. From your own singing background, what's that one song when you are discouraged that you pull out and you're like, okay, here it comes, and you just start wailing this thing out? What's that go-to song for you? It is, I just can't give up now. I've come too far from where I And Erica, as stunning as that is, when life is going perfectly well, when the rainbow is in the heavens and the smiles on your face and the kids are in the backseat and your husband's waiting for you with dinner on the table and you are on fire for life, what is your go-to song on, on those days? Oh, wow. It's not even my song. It's a song called Victory by Ty Tribbett. And there's a lyric that says, every situation I face, I win. And they just say, I've got the victory. I've got the victory. And they sing it over and over and it's up-tempo and you can dance to it and it'll lift your spirit out of any dark place. But when I realize I am experiencing the victory, man, I jam to that song. (laughs) Or I sing Happy by Pharrell. I hear you. I sing a little bit of those songs too. I also sing a little bit of All of My Life, which you uh, helped produce, record with your husband. It's a great song. Talk about what it's like to sing, write, produce, and then perform with the guy you're going to lay down next to every night for the rest of your life. What is it like to be on stage with your husband? Yes, all of my life for the rest of my life was something that he says at the end of service when he we have a declaration and we ask people to give their heart to Jesus. And at the end we say, and Lord, I'll serve you all of my life for the rest of my life. And we started looking at each other and I said, I will love you all of my life for the rest of my life. So the song has double meaning for me. I'm singing that to him, but I'm also singing it to God because it's true. When you find love and it's beautiful and it's amazing and it's worth fighting for and it's worth pushing through, you have to declare that I'm going to love you all of my life for the rest of my life. I just love that guy. (laughs) He's my friend. He's my fun. He's my safe place. Um, He's my pastor. He's the head of this house. You know, I don't believe that submission is a bad word. So I submit completely to my husband and he knows that I'm a leader too. So that submission allows me and lets me be free to do what I do. Even doing things like this, like talking to you. He's such the cheerleader. Mm. 
Be on time, Erica. Be excellent. Be clear with what you want to say. Everything is inside of you that you need. God has blessed you. Like He's always affirming me. And I just think it's so amazing and so wonderful to have that kind of support every day. And just for the, the listeners right now who may not have that, first of all, it, it will show up in your life, but maybe we start by becoming that. We be a warrant for someone else in their life and what a gift that will be to them. On every single one of our podcasts, Erica, we ask our guests seven questions. It tethers them all together. We call them the Live Inspired Seven. Uh, oh, I'm ready, I think. Yeah, you, you're going to be. You're gonna crush these. So the first question is, what is the best book that you have ever read? It's called God is Able by Priscilla Shire. What is God is Able about? It faces the reality of what life is, messy life, but God is able to carry us through every step of the way. Every test we can pass, every mountain we can climb, even if we have to stay in the valley for a long time and we're crying, God will still wipe those tears and he is able to push you into your amazing, awesome destiny. Mm, Beautiful. What is one positive characteristic, one trait that you possessed as a little girl growing up in Englewood, California, that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? You know, I think I still have it. It's just the ability to be optimistic. My father used to call me la-di-da when I was little, because I would go, oh, it's okay. I think if I was born in the 60s, I'd have definitely been a hippie because <laughs> I'm carefree and I believe that there was goodness in everybody. And I am I can honestly st- say that I still have that. And I'm so, so grateful. Erica, if your home caught fire and your husband and your babies, everybody's out safe and you have an opportunity to run back into your home and get one item that really matters to you, what's that one thing you would grab? I would get the picture books with my kids. The gold records, the platinum records, the trophies, it's burning, and you're coming out with the photo albums. I'm coming out with the photo albums. Yeah, I absolutely am. If you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach and have a long conversation with anybody, living or dead, who do you want to be seated right next to on that bench? My daddy. What's the very first thing you would tell your daddy on that bench? I would tell him that I was listening. Wow. That his words hit my heart, and I'm doing my best to carry out everything that he everything that he taught me. And when he says back to you, la-di-da, what does he say in response? <laughs> he would say, I love you, Plum. Plum, <laughs> my name. yeah. All right, wow. Plum, what is the best advice that your daddy or anyone else has ever given you? My mother said, you can live anything down. Any mistake you've made, any error, just keep living, just keep being great. Apologize, repent, and keep moving forward. That's awesome. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? This is before the record deals and everything else. You are just beginning to find your voice. What advice would you give yourself at age 20? I would say, Erica, you are going to be amazing. Just don't quit. Don't let self-esteem take you down. Don't let poor body image make you hide in the dark. Don't think that there's always somebody better than you. You are the best. Just keep going. Stay focused. Don't take people personal. Don't hold grudges. Forgive easy and quickly and love fiercely. Mm. That's exactly what I would tell young Erica. And Erica, I'm going to ask a 6.1 question to you because I want to give you an opportunity to speak to it. You refer to yourself as beautiful. You refer to yourself several times as awesome. And I know the lens with which you're sharing this, but I want to make sure that you have an opportunity to share with our listeners that same truth. This isn't ego talking. This isn't braggery. When you call yourself beautiful, when you call yourself beloved, when you call yourself awesome, what do you really mean when you're saying that? I'm just saying what God says about me (laughs) because I haven't always felt this way. I do feel ugly some days. I do feel not enough some days. 
And so I counter that, not with my words, but with God's words. The word says I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. It says I'm the beloved of God. And so when life makes me think that I'm not enough, when I don't get the contract, when I don't get the deal, when the money's not where it should be, I say God supplies all my needs according to his riches and glory. And so I'm not saying just what I think. I'm not looking at my bank account and going, oh, yeah, I've made it. I'm awesome. It's all because of what God has done for me and through me, the joy that he's placed in my life. It exists even in the lowest moments. I mean, this this last few months, I've lost two really, really close friends. I have had a deal get canceled on me that I thought was going to last longer. I've had financial problems, contrary to what people think, and somehow I still have hope. Mm. That's awesome that God has still allowed me to have joy, trust, and hope. So when I say this, it isn't because everything is fine. It's because I believe everything will be. And that's the difference. When people ask how you're doing, even if I'm not doing good, I honestly tell them, no, but I will be. I've said it to my husband. I've said it in interviews. Erica, are you okay? No, but I will be. And I think everybody can take a little piece of that. Even if you're feeling hurt and down right now, I don't care if you cried five minutes ago, you tell yourself, I'm not all right, but I will be. I will not stay sad forever. Not even a scab stays on our arm forever. You can have a big wound. It will eventually be a scab. And that scab proves that even under there, it's healing. You're healing. You're healing from your hurt. You're healing from your past. And so you don't have to hold that. You will be all right. One of my favorite writers is a guy named Henry Nowen, and he, and he writes that our scars exist because the wounds have healed. And I, I think there's a lot of wisdom to that. So the final question for Erica Campbell, my awesome friend, is this. It has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. Erica Campbell, how would you like your one sentence to read? She loved God and she loved people. Erica Campbell, who loved God and loved people and professed that beautifully through her music. I want to thank you for spending part of your day with us at Live Inspired. You're absolutely welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It has been such a pleasure. And as we get ready to move toward uh, the end of this episode, what, what is the song that you want to help us pick to move toward this final bumper? What's the song that you want to take us to the commercial? It is my latest release. It's called Praying and Believing. It's what I feel for the world. I believe that we can be healed and we can be whole. And I hope it blesses the hearts of many to know that someone's praying for you. Friends, that is Erica Campbell. I am John O'Leary. This is her new song. And today is your day. Live inspired. My friends, thank you so much for listening to today's Live Inspired podcast. I hope you share with your friends, your family, your colleagues, your letter carrier, your dog walker, that stranger seated next to you on the bus ride, that lady working out right next to you, the guy checking out in front of you. In other words, share with everyone that you're listening and that you are subscribing to the Live Inspired podcast. Together as a Live Inspired community, we can change the world. I can't wait to share with you the next episode.